Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Go to iTunes, look up Sports Q&A, subscribe, 
it'll automatically download in your pods in your uh in your podcast. So you can if you miss an episode, you can listen. If you want to go listen back on the six years of episodes, that's right, folks. We said six years. Six years of episodes, you can go back. If you go back and look at our previous drafts and see how poorly or how great we did uh in that. But <laughs> bless you. But let's get into why I have the sad puppy dog face going on right now. Again, we're having technical difficulties with the connection to you all. So if it sounds like I'm in a tunnel, it's only because I guess the marriage between blog talk radio and Skype is dead, gone, I don't know. Um, I know we can, I can't connect using my uh, laptop anymore, but on my tablet, even as recently as last week, it was good to go. But today, I didn't answer the phone. I felt wow. like New Edition and Mr. Telephone Man. Phone just rang. I wanted to call the operator to make sure it connected us, but it was no time. So then there was... It used to be a function that said, hey, you can connect with this direct connect number, access denied. So I had to do Old Faithful call into the show and call in as the host. So, like I said, I'm not going to hold the phone to my ear for the full two hours, so we're going to be on speakerphone, and we do it this way. Anybody out there listening, if it sounds crappy, let me know. I will... Uh, either get some headphones uh, or use my wireless device so I can talk to you all and it sounds like I'm uh, talking and not yelling. But Q, what's good with you, brother? Not much. Just counting down the days to the, the NFL draft. Like we, like we said before, it's Christmas for the NFL fans. The, the hope springs eternal for Every team in the NFL, whether you're a Browns fan as the worst team or you're a New England Patriots fan as the best team of the other league right now, excuse me, you have, op- you have optimism that your team will get good enough to compete. Now, will you compete for two wins or 15 wins is the, the million-dollar question. Right. And that all depends on? What process, what mindset your your leadership has? And fans, every fan pretty much feels they know what's best. Fans, for the most part, even people like us, we do a full mock draft, but probably I would say 50 to 65% of the players we've actually seen play more than one game. So it's a it's an unknown. And so you know we rely on on our own thing, on our own uh, uh, peers to look and see where people are or where people are ranked and kind of fit the in some instances a square hole into or uh, I mean a square into a round peg hole. So um, it's you know it's Christmas for all NFL teams until September and then usually by the end of September. It's uh, New Year's for some. It's uh, waiting for the draft for others. It's a celebration. It's a surprise. It's, it's all over the place. But um, 
we're going to jump into the draft a little bit later, reveal our annual mock draft. It'll be posted tomorrow, so you'll hear it here live first on the show. But, you know, we really don't want to ignore what's going on because actually, again, each year, more and more, the NFL, the NBA playoffs are growing on me a little bit more. And I really want to think that it's the storylines that add to it. Because at the end of the day, the play is still the play. You do have some players that just come to play that step up in the playoffs. But across the board, it's still the same NBA. The one benefit is that you don't see that lower tier of, of players, or I'm sorry, of teams that tend to play just bad basketball on a regular basis. So we got quite a few things to ponder about some teams that are still in the playoffs, some teams that have been eliminated from the playoffs, and then some teams that are fighting for their playoff lives. So, and uh, I'm actually going to pull up that that video in a minute. But so we're looking at the NBA playoffs. Uh, got a lot of. Uh, Game fives, which are always good for for Cleveland swept the Pacers in a bizarre series in which legitimately uh, Indianapolis could have been two and two in that series right now. Um, Paul George is the leader of, uh, of the Pacers, clearly the best player on that team. Um, Paul George has kind of escaped the 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 negative spotlight that usually goes when teams get swept, when teams blow leads. Um, is it because they're kind of a team in in transition outside of Paul George? Is it because people remember Paul George's ugly uh, compound fracture, which I still have not seen the video, and nor will I. Um. Why is Paul George getting the pass? It seems like Paul George is getting more of a pass and losing than LeBron does when he wins. I have no idea because for a guy that's supposed to be a superstar and a guy that a lot of people call a top 10, top 15 player in this league, he hasn't been able to do what top players should be able to do, and that's lead the team. They had some talent because this isn't a situation of, like, the 07 cast or even this uh, Thunder team in Oklahoma City, uh, Westbrook, that have no talent. You have a guy like um, Miles Turner in his second year up and coming. You have Lance Stevenson who may have found, went back home, so to speak, and found some, some semblance of his game. You have Monte Ellis. You have Jeff Teague, who they made a play to get because they thought he was a better point guard, fitted for this system, than George Hill. So you have four or five guys, and this is not even including Al Jefferson, who I noticed a couple of games had that DMP next to his name. This is a guy that used to be considered a a, a decent big man that can't even get in the rotation. So – What's going on with Indiana? Is it the new coach? I know they they fired Frank Vogel. 
last year, and they expected some new things coming in that aspect. But Paul George has this inability to hit big shots when it mattered, and especially after losing that, I think it was a 25-point lead in game uh, in game three. It's like, dude, that's that's not that's inexcusable, and and everybody's looking at it now. Oh, he's going to L.A., but if she goes to L.A., will it matter? Will he actually? And I got I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you this question now. With how the Lakers roster is right now, with those young players looking for leadership, is he gonna make that team better? Or good enough to make it to to compete for a playoff uh, spot over the next two or three years. I would say three, three. But what he does offer is a well-known NBA face to put on that franchise. Because at this point in time, all of their young guns are still developing. So the Lakers. When have you known the Lakers not to have a franchise player, like a certified player? I mean, you can argue. If you talk to L.A. fans or NBA fans, they can tell you that it's Russell. They could tell you that it's any any other number of three or four players on that team that they see the most promise, but there's no star. He is an all-star, Paul George. Not a superstar, even though he was having superstars ever since his injury, his his – his play has been superstar-like, but I don't know if he has the inability to lead the team to be uh, the Pacers to become better, or he's not motivated to make them better, and he knows that he's leaving. Um, so LA could be that move; it could be that place. Uh, he's going to get that negative spotlight in LA. Because they're looking for a name. Whoever is going to be that big name that goes there, the signs, is going to be the eye, get the ire of everything else because the young folks are going to get a pass. The young guys are going to get right. an easy pass. So now it's like, well, you're the leader of this team. You need to step up. And the thing is, is that, yeah, it's the playoffs. It's round one. Yeah, you're playing against the best team in the East. But and, yes, you're the best player of this team. But something has to happen. Once again, it could be coaching. They couldn't, could not be buying into the coach. It, I mean, it could be a situation like the Pistons. And granted, when they revolted against the coach and it was multiple players, but he could be the one player and the rest of the guys are kind of, I mean, I'm not going to say they're a hodgepodge group, but they're not necessarily, if, if somebody say, hey, this is a team that I want to make a playoff run with, I don't necessarily think that this would be the way that people would build it if they had uh, will build it if they had that opportunity. So, um, it's just in this situation to really look at it and say, okay, oh excuse me, okay now truthfully, is going to come in. Uh-huh. now truthfully, this is not probably not this isn't going to happen because we've already heard the rumors about his affinity for the Lakers. He needs to go to the Clippers. He needs to go where he's not the guy. Cuz I don't think and this is a question I I've, I've seen brought up is Paul George a number 1? I don't think so. I think he legitimately is a two. He's a he's a sidekick player. 
he's a guy that you know, okay, may not need, doesn't want the pressure of being the guy to take the final shot because we see his percentages have struggled with hitting that shot. Um, and maybe putting him with uh, CP3, DeAndre Jordan, and because I'm not going to count Blake because I think they may have to move Blake if they get Paul George. I think that helps the Clippers with an extra piece and a more consistent piece, and it gives Paul George the ability to kind of still be that fall into that 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 mold and that that role where he can still get you the twenty to twenty five a night, but he's not expected to get you twenty five to thirty a night. Whereas in Indiana, he's expected to do that. And if he goes to the Lakers, he's going to be expected to do that as long as he's by himself. Until, and this is just throwing it out, there's no definite information that's coming from from behind this speculation. Unless someone like Westbrook, Russell Westbrook decides, I'm going to opt out of my contract and I'm going to go out west because I'm tired of being an OKC. And then if you have him and Paul George, then it, it could work out. But if it's just Paul George by himself and them young guys, I don't see the Lakers. Yeah, you may get a, a 5 or 10 win increase, but that's still not going to put them in a position when you look at teams like Utah, you look at teams like Denver, you look at teams like even Minnesota that are ahead of them. They have more talent and are further along. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, from a Lakers standpoint, I mean, the Lakers at this point in time almost are like an expansion team. I mean, you're back reattached to Magic, who is a legend in L.A. So the fans are going to give Magic time because he's not coaching. So it's a different mindset. It's kind of the equivalent of when Joe D was over GM. <coughs> Joe D got the benefit of the doubt until the very end. So it's the same thing as where Paul George come in, and I think he's, I think he's a better fit in, in – in uh, Laker Nation rather than the Clippers because in the Clippers, if you get rid of Blake, then he's going to be part of that big three. But the thing is, is that he's going to be rely- he's going to be compared to Blake. So if he's not, even though it's a different position, he's replacing him. So if he's not get putting up big numbers, if he's not putting up twenty and 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 eight or whatever, then now the comparisons are going to come in. The Lakers have a calming piece right now because, once again, they don't have that star. They have the hardware to have some patience. Where the Clippers are desperate to get that ring. And this kind of coincides to my second question that we didn't talk about, but it kind of came into it that uh, uh, one of our our listeners and followers on, on social media said it. He feels the Clippers are cursed. Uh, Blake Griffin is, in NBA terms, what people thought Matt Stafford was to begin with. He's a China doll. And I don't think he's a China doll because he's soft. I think he's a China doll partially and mostly because of how he plays the game. Mm -hmm. Um, He plays with a reckless abandon, and it's a hard, it's a wear and tear on your body. And when you have an injury, whether it's big or small, whether you're a professional athlete or not, you're going to favor the stronger side. 
So when you do things like that and then you get hurt, then you make other sides weaker. You look at, I mean, for me, from an aspect of me blowing my knee out in high school, my other knee became my weaker knee by overcompensating it for years in playing in college. So it, it was nowhere near at a high level like that. So the thing is, is that Paul George going to the Clippers um, will put him in the same position. But in a, in, a, in a higher market, and the thing is with the Clippers, I think at this point in time, they're probably more critical because they feel they should be better than they are. And now you bring in a high, another high-profile player there, you now you're making the Clippers a destination spot, but will they? I mean, will he be the person that gets them over the over over the hump? Just like I think him increasing the Lakers over three years by 15 games will be monumental. But if you look at that time frame within three years, that roster will look totally different. You'll have at least two top draft picks, lottery picks. You'll have a couple of free agents that want to go there. It'll be a total thing by that third year. They may be in full swing, ready to get at least to the fifth spot. You never know. Because at some point in time, those young guys <clears throat> got to develop, or you trade them away for potential or known commodities. So I, that's why I think L.A. is a better place. But I want your, uh, and you to answer the question regarding the Clippers. Are the Clippers cursed? I wouldn't say curse. They just they've just run into a string of luck where they haven't been able to get I mean they finally got up under the Lakers shadow, maybe because the the Lakers died, so to speak, but mm-hmm. <laughs> they've done enough to not be considered cursed. They're just not good enough. I mean, when you look at uh what C P three has done and he's he did this in New Orleans with the the Pel- uh, well the Hornets slash Pelicans. I'm gonna call them the Hornets because that's what they were when he was playing there. Uh, he couldn't get that team to the next level despite having a, a good roster with uh with some pieces. Now he goes to L.A. and you have that whole stigma that was brought about from Big Baby Davis mentioning that <clears throat> Doc Rivers was an overrated coach. We're seeing that come to pass now. There's no reason why the Clippers should be struggling with Utah. There's no reason why a couple years ago the Clippers should have lost to the Houston in the first round. There's something going on besides the players that has made that organization underachieve, and maybe it's coaching. I mean, everybody looks at uh, they, uh Doc and his championship with the Celtics, but look at that roster. You had three Hall of Famers and a young upper-comer that was willing to buy into the system in uh, Rondo at the time. You should have won it. But now that he's being forced to actually coach and make crunch time decisions and, and deal with the roster without, with and without Blake Griffin, we haven't seen – the, the fruits of the labor that we've expected from him as a what we would consider a high-profile coach. But to me, uh, the Clippers, I think their bar was set low. 
And I look at it from this point. They had a young team. CP3 came and was supposed to be that missing piece. But when you look at it, in my opinion, their true number three is Jamal Crawford, who is, what, a year younger than you? Yeah. So when you look at Right, so when you look at their core and how their team is made, yeah, I mean, you can't criticize him for, for having his son on the team because his son does contribute. But when you look right. at the players and the teams that they have, I mean, the players that they have on there, I mean, they have a young squad with with two superstars when healthy. I mean, if they, I mean, you, you look at how they play, they play decent. I mean, like at a at a fifty four or sixty percent clip when when Blake is out, CP three is, is 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 what makes them go around. But once again, who who's 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 your who's your shooter? Who's your number your true number three option? Yeah, at times it may be Crawford. At times it may be Reddick still there. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. At times it may be Reddick, but you don't have that true piece. The thing is, is that. You still have a hot pod. You got DeAndre Jordan. I mean, that's the same thing we got with Daniel Andre Jordan. And don't let me get to talking about that guy. Yeah, he's exciting and stuff, but his his stats because of where he falls short with his free throws and some other things, it becomes empty numbers. So, I mean, and <clears throat> is Doc have Doc have GM power in LA, or is he? I mean, of course, he has to say so. He's going to say what he say, but is he the GM? I'm not sure. I'll check one second. Yeah, so, I mean, even with that, I mean, and then here's the other thing, and nobody really wants to kind of put this into play. I mean, the Donald Sterling thing had an effect, too, because when they had an opportunity for folks to come in, nobody was touching Clippers as far as the free agency, really trying to go there, when that was a hot topic two years ago or three years ago. You know, so that affected them as well. That affected the team. The team almost didn't play game because of the owner. Right. So when you look at that, it, that all plays a part. That's why when you look at certain things and you talk about, Doc, you know, Doc's lineup and everything else, you could have had something that was lined up where you could have had somebody who was a free agent that was willing to step there and say, hey, I'm going to be this, this third guy here, and they could have gone further than they did. The thing is, is I think that the Clippers were so – much better than the franchise had ever been, people kind of hyped them up to be more than what they were. They were they are regular season dominant, but you can be regular season dominant when I would say 60% of the teams suck. I mean, Clippers maybe had over a 65, a 650 winning percentage, maybe one or two times. If I just beat the teams that I'm supposed to beat, split with the teams that that are as good or, or as good as I am, I can lose all the teams that are better than me, and I still come out looking good. So the thing is, I don't think the Clippers were at were ever as good as they were pegged. But everybody was so excited. It would it, it would be the same thing if the and I even say Cleveland, if dang on Detroit Lions were. Uh, 11 and uh, 11 and five or 12 and four in the regular season with a home season game. Everybody's gonna even if they don't get to the Super Bowl, everybody's gonna be like that's the best season ever. Or they pull a string of double digit wins for five out of six years. 
it changes the bar and it also gives you a pass. Now, Lions fans are a little bit different, but I'm willing to bet Clippers fans probably had that same mentality. Like, yeah, they're good, but we need to ship to, to solidify. So, and FYI, Rivers is the president of the basketball operation, so he has the final say. So, did he add that? So, but there is a GM, though, too. But like, here. It's up to. It's up to Rivers, though. Rivers. So he's the Rivers has the final say. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's that's on him. But once again, I'm not using an excuse. I'm just uh, throwing something out there. Just, just looking at this roster. Looking at this roster, you have. I'm gonna just roll off the names: Allen Anderson. Brandon Bass, Jamal Crawford, Raymond Felton, Blake Griffin, Bryce Johnson, Wesley Johnson, DeAndre Jordan, Luke Mabute, Chris Paul, Paul Pierce, J.J. Reddick, Austin Rivers, Maurice Bate, and Diamond Stone. So, and and that's why I mentioned the whole situation. No, I was saying, is that a championship roster squad? No, and that's why I said if you look at somebody like a Paul Pierce, if you insert him into that starting lineup above uh, Luke Mabute, that's you have two and a half guys. You you figure Reddick is still the two, but you have a spot up shooter right there. You put him at the three. That's a guy that can create and dish for himself. And Paul Pierce, I mean, and CP3 that can create and dish. That alleviates the pressure from um, DeAndre Jordan because we know he's not gonna he's gonna be your energy guy. He's gonna be your guy that gets you the the twelve and fifteen uh, rebounds, but most of his points coming from putbacks and alley oops. Whereas right now you're still even with with Blake being there, he's developing a, a jump shot, but he's not consistent with that, and he's not a guy that you can put on the post and he's going to body you for 10, 15 points. So it's like, where is he generating his points from? At least with uh, Paul George, you know someone, he's a he's a offensive threat. So that's why I was mentioning the whole thing with him going to the Clippers per se and speeding up that, that opportunity to get to the, to the finals or, or be on a, a real contender. Because truthfully, I'll, other than the fact that he's from L.A. and the Lakers are that pinnacle organization, it's like, okay, you're taking two or three steps back than where you are in, in the, with the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, I, I, mean, I mean, if you had the choice to go to any team, and it depends on where your mindset is, I mean, I think George feels he has the least – I would say five to seven years left, got the ability to go back home to be part of the resurgence of the team that you followed growing up or stay in a small market in Indianapolis and be the man but struggle to do things. It just depends what his motivation is. I mean, I think he could do – I think he could get the Lakers up to where Indianapolis is right now and be held a hero of being the man that brought L.A. back 
to the playoffs and then hand that off to whoever is going to be there next and in, in running. But if he's there for a seven-year period, I mean, granted, I would say four, he will be performing at top-notch uh, performance, and then the rest will be kind of selling away to sunset. So he has a small window. It's about are you chasing the championship or it's about the quality of your your life and NBA career. Because some people don't want to chase championships. Some people want to go and play in certain places, destination spots, uh, uh, spots that are not necessarily championship spots either. So that, that, that plays and, a big part too of and, and that's the thing. If he does pick the Lakers, I I no longer want to hear people cry about Carmelo Anthony and what he did with New York because essentially it's the same thing. You're going to a team that you know has no chance and you're using I want to go home and the money grab as your supreme motivation because that's it. And that's exactly what happened with Carmelo. It was a situation of, oh, if I could bring a championship to the Knicks and they could pay me a lot of money and that's where I'm from, I'm good. Had an opportunity before this last contract to possibly go to the Bulls, go to another team and be a a step or two closer to a championship. And he decided, no, I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to get this money. And if I don't get it, if I don't make the playoffs, oh, well. And obviously, Paul George is going to have to be okay not making the playoffs because now you're going to a more competitive Western Conference where you have 9, 10, 11 teams that you know is going to be knocked down and drag them out for that 6, 7, 8 seed. Whereas this year, it got interesting because of uh, what 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 happened with Miami? How uh, Chicago played it down the end of the season, and how Indian how Indiana played. But it's like that's not is this really what it's about? And, and I think that's why you have some fans out here that are despondent with with the NBA and professional sports because now it's turned into a a contract a contract grab and a matter of fulfilling my personal desires over winning. I mean, but I can't, I can't knock that because the NBA is in, in professional sports now is entertainment business. It's not sports business. And I think our generation gets more upset about that than today's generation. I mentioned it last week about I was playing with, Basketball with my capital leaguers, and they were talking about, oh, well, you got fundamental skills, but we don't like that. We like the flashiness. It's entertainment. I can be fundamental and average just as much as somebody being flashy, and they're going to remember the guy that dunked on somebody, the guy that shot the crazy three, the guy that crossed somebody over, even though he may have missed the shot. It's all about entertainment value. So the thing is, is that, yeah, you'll hear the mumblings, but you'll still see the fans come out and see him play. So the thing is, I, I personally, I don't knock knock them for doing that, but um, it just determines what their mentality, what kind of player they are. I mean, they put in the hours, they put in the time, they put in everything that you do to be a professional athlete. 
I used to be on the side like, man, this guy's garbage. He's no loyal. He's not loyalty. He ain't no real player. But at the end of the day, it's just their livelihood. I mean, most professionals have 30 years to earn whatever money that they have and that they're going to live off for the rest of their life. These guys have between one and usually 10 years to earn as much money as you can Flip it, invest it, whatever, save it however you want, and be able to live off that money. Because all these guys not going to TV. All, I mean, these guys leave the league in a year or two or three are working a regular job. So I can't blame them for getting that money, girl. I can't blame them for going after that second or third big contract because it ain't going to be no second, and, I mean, no fourth and fifth. <laughs> so I understand it. And that's why that's why I think I'm so much more at peace with basketball because it's entertainment value. It's like watching real life video games. And I'm becoming yeah. cool with it, which is scary. I become cool with it until I they and I don't even think I have ESPN Classic no more, which is a shame, but when they show one of the old school games, when at least in my mind, it was just about basketball. But that was me. Yeah. And I'm glad you – I hadn't thought about that, how your perspective from your capital leaders, because I've been in a, a many of a conversation, oh, of guys our age, a little bit older, slightly younger, that still clamor for the days of the 90s and the 2000s. And we, I, I think what we have to just do is get past it. It's over. We will never see 90s basketball ever again. We will never see – Maybe even 2000 basketball ever again, as far as the the fundamentals and that that style of play, because it's not conducive to what, like you just said, the entertainment value. No one wants to see uh, a 78 to 65 or a 70 to 65 basketball game ever again. The the way of even the Pistons when they won in 2004, slowing the tempo grinding it out. They don't want to see that anymore. No one is tuning in. No one is going to these arenas to watch that. As, and that's why, truthfully, you have a guy, why the two guys who are the leading candidates for MVP this year are who they are. They, you have one guy that has set the record for most turnovers in the season, and James Harden with 366, but he'll give you a triple-double. He'll, he'll cross you over, hit you with the, the Euro step, get the M1. You have Russell Westbrook, who plays out of control, who is has to be maddening to some of his teammates, but he would give you 50 points, 10, 13 assists, and 14 rebounds. He will entertain you, and he'll do all that while dunking on you or while blowing by you to the hole. You have a guy that, and Kyrie Irving, who, Technically, is a point guard, but their last game against Indiana had zero assists. Never in the NBA prior to this recent trend of, and I, I really understand there's a difference now in point guards. They want points guard, not run the point guard. And 10, 15 years ago, that would have been unheard of to have a your your lead guard finish a game with zero assists. 
and you'd be okay, and you still win the game, and you'd be okay with that. But because of how LeBron is with that system, he's more the distributor than Kyrie Irving is, and it works for them. And we just all have to come to the fact we have become the old man in the barbershop, the old man talking sports oh, back in my day. And it's, 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 it's sad because our day is gone, and whether it's football and their crazy rules and their protective quarterback, uh, might as well move the 707 flag football to basketball, the scoring, the, 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 the bad calls. It's, it's done. It's, you have to, I mean, it's, you, you adjust or you go the way of the dodo. You extinct. And now the, the young fans have adjusted. They know what's up. It's just us old guys, us young old guys that haven't, that are still fighting and still want to see 90s basketball when that's never coming back again. Yeah, I mean, I mean, all actuality and NBA could could do this. And NBA, I, if, I said it first, you could come up with an NBA Classic TV, not just the ones you just throw around. You could have an alternate channel, NBA Classic TV, and alternate it by weeks doing 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s basketball and have more people watching that. Well, I'm not going to say more people. More people are our generation or the generation before me watching that than they do regular basketball. And I'm not just talking about playoffs or playoff runs. I'm talking about regular season games. I mean, like, dude, I barely remember the Pistons Denver game for most points scored in the game. But dude, any yeah. time that, that game is on, I can sit there and watch that game like it's live, and not just because the Pistons won. In that the the Pistons against the the, the former Bullets when Bernard King, I can watch uh-huh. that that series. That's the thing you can watch those games because the epic matchups or a regular season game when just something just randomly crazy happens. Those are the things, and it happens now, but once again, it doesn't happen in the thing that we are. And today's generation grew up into this basketball, so they have no choice but to love it. So when you talk about it in the past, they didn't grow up watching that. They didn't grow up seeing this. They grow up watching the entertainment value, and that's what they want, and that's what they, they're they drawn to. So personally, I don't knock it. I don't know when I came to this realization. I don't knock it, and I don't fight it anymore, but – I want to, you know, I want to enjoy it where I am. I mean, I can sit there and watch. You have a, a full series that, you, hey, we're going to have the full 90, 90, uh, 88 playoffs playing. Man, I'll be missing everything, DVR and all types of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I mean, here's the thing, like, and once again, it's our generation. I, and I, I'm going to try to think, after I say this, I'm going to try to think of a team in any sport that this would be, uh, relevant to or correlate to, I would watch the dang on, I would say, 85 to 91 Milwaukee Bucks and their games over a lot of stuff that's here now just because those guys, when I mean, you look at those guys, Cummins, Humphreys, uh, Sig- uh, Sigma, uh, you're looking at all these guys, uh, uh, Dolph Shays. You look at all those guys and how they play 
Uh, Alvin, uh, what's Alvin? What's name? He played for the Pistons. Um, Alvin Robertson. Yeah, Alvin Robertson. You look at all those guys and how that team stayed together, and they could not bust the ceiling. But they played good ball. They they had great matchups against the Pistons, against the Celtics, uh, and but they couldn't bust it. But they played good basketball. Granted, yeah, they had shortcomings. But when you put everything out there, like now the shortcomings are, hey, we only got two players. <laughs> Not when you we match up player for player. Hey, we only win. We only win two out of the five matchups, but we we only losing by three points. And it's not because we hacking anybody, and that's the thing. It, I mean, it's, it was just a different way. But once again, it was how we were brought in. I mean, my dad could sit there and talk about it, and he, when he talks about basketball, he kind of talks more about one-on-one matchups. And he, of course, talks about Will and 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 Will, uh, Will and uh, uh, Bill Russell and other players and, and individual, individual matchups. So, I mean, I think it kind of goes on what you grew up in and what you kind what you hold close or what type of player you were when you played. Like, I was that that dive to the floor, give me the steal, I'll take the assist over the shot. That was the type of player I was. So, uh-huh. I'm drawn to that. You know, if you're a wild player that makes, you know, 25% of the shot, you like the entertainment value because you're going to have a sports center highlight before somebody who's just a, a 10-10 guy that's just, hey, he'd make getting garbage, man. you a junkyard dog. But you you com- contributed every day the same input-output. you dependable like the sun coming up and coming down. So it makes sense to me now. And I guess we had, I had a revelation on, on, on air but it makes more sense to me now than it did before. So I won't argue that point. I'll just argue it's different and everybody has a preference. But ironically, it's the funny thing. Like the farthest that this generation goes back is greatness is Jordan. But, and they never seen Jordan play. Uh-huh. So like when it came to players that I didn't see play, I think the farthest I went back to greatness was Wilt and, and uh, Bill Russell. So it's just interesting. Like it stops with Jordan with them, but Jordan was the beginning of the entertainment value. NBA action is fantastic. He came in and pushed that to the next level because Larry and Magic could only do so much. I mean, think I mean, about it. Back then, the the NBA playoffs was on tape delay. That would be laughed at right now. How how could these – I'm sitting here upset right now because there's a game in these in these trio of games being played every day, every day that's on NBA TV, and I don't have that channel. So just imagine mm-hmm. having to wait a couple hours to, to watch a game that you know been played at 7, but you can't watch it to 8 or 9 o'clock because it's tape delayed. And – I think that the evolution of the NBA, on like I said, it's, it's the entertainment value and in and the chase of eyes and exposure, we've lost some of the fundamentals. We've lost some of the things that are important, and it's trickled down to college. It's trickled down to the AAU circuit. It's trickled down to high school, whereas, I mean, it's about the the potential 
to be entertained, not the potential to be good. And that's why you have, I think they said it's over 130 guys that declared for the draft. But how many rounds, how many slots is it? 60? So somebody's in trouble. A whole lot of folks in trouble. Yeah, so, uh, but but you have these, and, and this is why I'll forever blame the NBA, their scouting departments, and their, anybody affiliate, affiliated with that because they put these bugs in these guys' ears by showing up to their high school games, showing up to their AAU games. Because think about it. These one-and-done players aren't just deciding when they step on the college campus, oh, my goal is only play one year. That hype has already been started as a sophomore, as a junior, into their senior year because they've been on these camp trails. They played at these these big camps, and they walk in and they see guys with that Spurs logo, with that 76ers logo on there, with that, that Pistons logo on there, watching them to see, okay, is this guy – does he have what it takes? And they start whispering, oh, you see number 45 over there? He has the size. He has the, he has the, the potential. He could be an NBA player on the horizon. So now they chase that instead of chasing the cow, the, the coaches with the cow logo on their jersey or the Kentucky logo or the Michigan logo. I can go to college at any moment. Or if I could bypass it with like what Terrence Ferguson is doing now in Australia, or some of these other guys, I can bypass college because I'm going to the pros because they're here to see me. And now it's problematic. Now you're you're circumventing the system, and that's why we have guys that play. It takes two or three years to get something out of them. So the team that drafts half these guys is not getting a return on their investment. But you've done this. You've created this system, so it's your own fault. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, I mean, it's all about marketing. It's about can we make more money, can we make our product more visible by adding this guy to not just the NBA brand but the team's brand. I mean, that that's a part of it. Nobody's going to – I mean, in today's NBA, if there's a round our test, Oh no, let me tell you. If it's a world be uh meta world piece in college ranks, he ain't gonna get drafted. Because unless you can market him and you have a marketing department that can market the the rambunctiousness, the wildness, the all of that, that that's not necessarily flying in today's NBA. It worked for a certain period of time. I think he may be the last one because everybody else is vilified for that. And and, and that's why you have that's why you have a guy that like Jordan Bell from Oregon that despite his performance the last couple of rounds of the NCAA tournament, you still have many of these mock drafts having him a French first round player or the back end when he dominated the tournament. He did what he but he's not sexy. He's not He's a junkyard dog. He's not the guy that's going to put up 25 points. 
he's going to get you 10 points, 8 assists, 4 blocks, going to dive on the floor and get you that win because of his hustle. Because he's not the prototypical 6'10", 6'11". He's not the extreme jump-out-the-gym type guy with the athleticism. He's just a basketball player. And right. it's not enough for those guys in the league right now to compensate for these underskilled, overhyped, overvalued uh, AAU superstars. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is he's competing against that, and he's playing. I hate to say this, this is the old man saying he's playing the game the right way. Um, yeah, right. There's no one right way, but traditionally he's playing the game fundamentally. Um, and I think that. People aren't, don't look at it that way, and once again, if he's not, if there's no entertainment value, that, you know, they'll say that's boring. That's that's boring play. That's boring a way to play the game, and it is to some when you're focused on the entertainment value. Well, folks, we look. We're, I don't think we've talked about in, I mean NBA basketball this long in a long time. Uh, but we didn't went past our first break. And we're gonna take a quick break and then we about to jump in both feet forward into this NFL draft. And before we do our mock draft, we're gonna talk about some of the storylines going into the draft. Some teams, some players, and GMs for that matter. So we'll be right back. This half-hour sports Q&A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Welcome back to tonight's episode of Sports Q&A. It's 8.55 in the p.m. Make sure you give us a call at 760-539-3269. 760-539-3269. We jumped into NBA, all with both feet forward, talked almost an hour. But I want to get into a point and counterpoint, and it may not be a point and counterpoint because we may be on the both sides of it, uh, of the same coin, but it was something that kind of came up in the conversation that I was having earlier today um, based upon some reports that came out for some prospects for the draft is from a GM perspective, which is more difficult to deal with or to handle or to manage a sexual assault or domestic charge or a felony drug test? Go ahead. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you lead this one, so I can see where you're going. Well, um, both of them are bad, and just you know, it's just not fitting with what the norms of society are or the expectations of society. Um, in the NFL, uh, it has been until recently, I would say that things of domestic violence and and uh, 
sexual uh, assault or things of that nature have been kind of been brushed to the side um, in the past. And you had this big thing. And parts uh, with the drug, you know, you hear a lot more about the drug charges and things of that nature immediately when it happens. And then when you hear about these 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 charges and other things, it's way after the fact where just like, I'll use an example, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but just like uh, Jabril Peppers with the diluted sample. That was known on at, at the combine. And I'm pretty sure it was known by all teams that wanted to know. But ironically, the week of the draft or the week prior to the draft, that information comes out. That that's a that's a, a different type of situation. Well, mind you, that was times ago. But the NFL, the way that they treat drug thing, uh, drug charges are different because they're trying to retroactively take a strong stand uh, because of the steroids that was in the game for so long. And they're not being drug tested and all those other things. So from a GM, I think it has to be uh, – you have to look at it from which one can I spin or control the spin of. Um, because when it comes to the sexual assault charges, I mean, again, innocent until proven guilty – but if you have a perspective like Conley, who is suspected of charges against him, um, I would say as a GM, I would have to stay away from the sexual charges. And I'm not not even just given the climate. To me, it's my moral compass. But once again, I'm not going to say my moral compass as a GM is, uh, if I was a GM, is different than what most are, but I think it, that it is because I'm not a GM. Because you have to deal with people who are in that, who've had those charges or things in that situation because you want to get better as a team. So it, it's a tough decision. I, I don't really think it's a middle ground, but I just think that the, uh, the drug charge. I mean, that can happen from anything. I mean, a diluted could be, hey, oh, man, I was in the car with such and such, and I decided to just go ahead and dilute it so I won't get busted, but not recognizing that dilution, uh, diluted sample is a, a positive. I might as well just got busted for it. But once again, it's trying to put someone, either you trying to protect yourself or somebody else. So from a GM, first, I, would never, I wouldn't want to deal with either. But given the choice, I would want to deal with the drug charge because you can spill that, especially if a failed drug test, is, uh, especially if it's a diluted sample. It could have been, hey, I was training for such and such. I was drinking a whole lot of water, blah, 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 blah. So it's kind of just a botched sample. To me, the CBA, they they jacked up with that, that automatic diluted sample. What what, what level of dilution is it that, that causes it to be diluted and make it an automatic fail? Did you find anything on it? But once again, it. And then you go automatically going to the drug protocol. So, to me, and this is my opinion, I would rather deal with the drug because I'm gonna just be honest. Be, to me, I think it's because of the the culture and how the NFL has had them black and eye with mismanaging the domestic violence things. But if I was a GM in years past. Sadly, I would have to say 
I would rather rather deal with the domestic violence or the sexual assault because I'm I'm just waiting on the law to determine what it is rather than a failed drug test is already there. So I don't think I really answered the question like I should have, <laughs> but I probably like I said I think I would take I probably I, I don't think I would take the drug uh, failed drug test, uh, but it's a slippery slope nonetheless. Uh, and we have uh, players that will be drafted or potentially drafted that are in these situations. And these are questions that their agents are asking teams and they're asking themselves and all these other things. So there's probably ain't no point counterpoint. It's just comments, but go ahead Q. Yeah, I think we're both on the same uh, wavelength with this one. Um, Personally, the the backlash and the legal issues that you deal with with the sexual assault, the domestic violence, is too. It, it possibly could be too much to overcome because dealing with the uh, the Conley situation, we find out we're knowing about this now, but we know about the incident now. But we don't know whether he's guilty whether the victim is lying, and we have to err on the side of caution at this moment. And we won't know, as a team that's in that that draft war room, you won't know either way on Thursday. So you have to back off of that guy, even if there is great speculation that he is innocent, that this was a situation where the, the young lady embellished. You cannot sit there and, and assume that that's going to be the answer because it very well could be something happened. Something happened that went awry and it, it caused, it may not have been a rape situation, but it could have been a simple sexual assault. And now you have a player that's in in your team that has this stigma where the, the, drug, the drug thing, and like you mentioned, the whole diluted uh, uh, test could be, oh, I got nervous. I got worried because I did something or I was and and this is what they were saying about uh, uh, Ruben Foster. He was sick and he was just trying to keep fluids in his system, which in, in, in results uh, makes a, a suspect test, which results in a negative, which results in a failed test. So that goes back to the, like you said, the whole NFLPA having to kind of do its due diligence to rectify the layers and the levels that come from that. Now, you don't want a situation where you have a Randy Gregory or you have a um, Charles Rogers with the Lions where the signs were there. This was, this was a... A masking, a masking agent, and he actually had issues that extended with Charles Rogers that extended beyond the weed. It was the alcohol, those other drugs that went down that that road. And with Randy Gregory, he's a repeat offender. So you 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 can very well end up with both players being a, a bad seed because even with that domestic violence, all it takes is another case of that guy potentially, oh, getting into an argument and the cops being caught, not touching the woman or touching another mm-hmm. woman, 
But because the cops are being caught, that's problematic now. And now you have a bigger stigma of him being a, a woman beater, and he didn't even touch the woman the second time. Whereas you get a guy that failed a, a second drug test, now he's in the system. He's, whether it's facing a four-game suspension, ten-game suspension, depending on what, it's all bad. So, I mean, truthfully, neither one is good, but this is a, a message to these guys. One, stay away from these women. If it ain't your girl or you, there's no need to take it, there's no need to put your hands on her if she don't want you, walk away. There's too many other women out here. But once again, we go back to the issues with sexual predators. It's not about the options. It's the power. It's the control. And you have to realize you exercising your control and your power over this woman will have the cops in this legal system exercising their power and control over your life. And is it worth it? I say no. All right. So here's the question. We'll get it. So if you're first round and you're in in the, in the uh, on the in the market for uh, a safety slash linebacker, are you considering Jabril Peppers as an option? And did that change because of the failed drug test? Hmm, that's a loaded question. Because, one, yeah. I'm not – the drug test for me is irrelevant. I have to decide, mm-hmm. does this guy play a position or have a position where he can help my team day one? Um, and every team can't answer that the same. Because is he big enough to play linebacker? No. Does he have the cover skills to play safety? That's yet to be seen. So you're in a situation where you have to be comfortable knowing that either way, you either have to have a package for him or you have to know that it's going to be a a, a circumstance where he may not be your every-down linebacker. He may be your nickel guy. He may not be your every-down safety. He may be a special package. And if you can live with that, knowing that he's a special package guy and he's a a special teams guy that could be a returner, that could be a gunner and all that stuff, then you have have to be okay with it. But a lot of these teams, especially if I'm in the first round and I need a linebacker, I can't – I got to pass on them. There's just too many other guys out there that I would say feel a, be- uh, feel a bigger knee at linebacker. There's only two other safeties on that that, are, that have first-round grades. That's uh, Allen from uh, LSU and uh, Malik Hooker. And is he better than those two? No. So if I'm in the back end of the first round, if I'm Pittsburgh, if I'm Houston, or if I'm anywhere 20, I say 23 and back, I, I could I could possibly take it a gander on him, but none of this top 10, none of this top 15, because there should be more more players on your board that fit bigger needs than him. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, once again, it just depends on how things fall and where you where you rank. You know what you what your needs are. If you are, uh, <clears throat> if you are, uh, you know, looking for multiple things, it could fit. Once again, he's a project, but he's a playmaker. He's shown that. Now he's not Charles Woodson. Um. But he has Woodson-like qualities because he's not a lockdown corner, even though that was his position out of high school. So, I mean, it's different. So here's the other question. Uh, me, personally, I'll answer that question. I wouldn't drop him off my board, depending on how things fail, depending on if I had other needs, if I needed a returner, a, a, a rusher, because I can put packages in there for him, I would take him. But I wouldn't take him early. Because I think that there may be other options that are true to that position. But if I need, if I have an aggressive defensive coach or a defensive scheme in which hybrid I can put in for 10, 12 plays, oh, yeah, I'll take him because it's, it's another thing. If he's a different major maker in 10, 12 plays, he can make plays a third of that time. Oh, it's worth it because now I can teach him up to other things to do. And now he's somebody that teams have to scheme against. So um, I look at it that way. So is Conley off your board altogether? Oh, that's tough. Because like I, this goes back to the um, Lyle Collins situation a few a few years ago. And actually, this is actually worse than Lyle because Collins wasn't – he was just a person of interest in the death of a, of a girlfriend. Wasn't a suspect. They just were questioning because they were in the same city and he used to date her. And he fell off people's board. Whereas now this is a situation where – you have two witnesses say one thing. You have one witness corroborate. Two witnesses corroborated with uh, Conley. Another witness corroborated with the young lady. And there's too much to be sorted out to figure in a short period of time who's telling this. Who's telling more of the truth? Did some? Did anything happen? Was there any type of in, inappropriate uh, behavior? Was it? Drinking involved that led to something that started off okay, and midway through the young lady said no, 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 or was it just her being a jilt? Because what I what I saw in one of the stories was she was told to leave the the premises, and she took that as a sign of disrespect, and that's where the story came from. Can't say it's a hundred percent true, but that's what I saw. So it's like, okay, where do we go? Because if I draft this guy. And he was, he had been shooting up the boards, and some people had called him the second-best corner, if not the best corner in this draft. So that means top 15 pick. That's guaranteed top 20 pick. Can somebody within the top 15 say, I'm comfortable enough? I don't think so. Now, is this severe enough to drop him completely from your board? I don't think so. No. Not when you have people that still have 
Joe Mixon on their board, despite having video of an assault that involved a woman that instigated the situation. He's still considered a second-round pick. This is a case where we have no evidence, no video. You can't take him completely off your board. Now, now, he may slide some where he may have been a, a tenth round. I mean, the, the, the tenth selection in the draft. He may slide to the 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 eighteenth, nineteenth, twentieth selection. But he still is still too unknown, and he's still too good to get out of the to be displaced to the second, the second or third round. I think some teams are going to take them off the board automatically. Uh, I think the Pats will be one of those teams. Um, <clears throat> they made a very strong point, and remember, and I think it's more driven by Mrs. Kraft, that they have an issue with domestic violence. Sexual assault is along those lines. Uh, the, the investigation won't be done it's after the fact. I'm not saying he's guilty, but the court of public opinion has, you know, is is has already convicted or or, or gotten him or, or released him off on the charges. So I think what's going to happen is he's going to take a huge dive. I don't think he's going to stay in the first round at all. I think he may be a day three selection where you have teams talking to him. Throughout day one, saying, hey, if you're here in such and such round, we're going to do this. Now, once again, I'm pretty sure they can't talk specifics, but they can talk roundabouts when they're talking to his agent and saying, hey, you know, if we draft him in this round, this is what the base salary is going to be, but we can put these incentives in on this based on picks, based on Pro Bowls, based on all rookie, based on all these things that could supplement his salary, which don't count against the salary cap because they're bonuses, that could get him. It's not going to get him the money that he was going to get prior to this report coming out. But it could put him in a position and say, listen, this is your chance to prove it, and you can get even bigger contract, that second contract, but you can also get money that you wouldn't normally get being drafted where you are. And you got to understand that being drafted, and then the feedback that he's getting for uh, day one, he's not going to be listening to that at all. He's like, somebody's going somebody's to draft me. I remember this team talked to me and said that if I was there, they would draft me. Well, that was all good. It was just a week ago. But now it's different. So with that being the case, I think he, he makes it to day three. I think he, he gets picked by a team. In my opinion, I think will be a playoff team. That is going to get a steal, set up that incentive-based contract. He's going to play with a chip on his shoulder. He can contribute from day one because he's the first-round draft pick caliber. And you being a playoff team, I think picking him that if he ends up getting, uh, you know, convicted, is not going to hurt you as much, especially if it's a fifth-round, fourth, fifth-round pick. But I think he's going he's wow. going to tumble. I th- I just think he's going to tumble because the thing is, it's too soon. You're not going to have enough facts. You can do, you know, you have you can have the NFL security do all their investigation, but everything is still speculation because at the end of the day, when there's charges like that, he has to prove that he's innocent. And at the end of the day, you have two and two, you know, and I'm not, both parties who have, have motives. 
Because if you were already involved in that situation and in the room with him, and he came and tried to get another party, you were there, based on your words, you didn't want to participate, but you wanted to watch. Once again, now that creates a divide, and now what happens? Things get cloudy. <clears throat> Nobody has time to go through that because I got to prepare for my drive for my team. Nobody has time to do that until day three when things is really fast-paced. And maybe you can convince your owner that, yeah, go ahead, can we pull the trigger on them? And a team wouldn't be mad. A team that needed to say, I mean, a quarterback wouldn't be mad. The Browns could pull it off and they'd be ecstatic, even though it happened in Cleveland. So, I mean, it, it's – to me, I think he's going to tumble just because it's too close and just because the stigma that has been attached to the NFL when it comes to violent and violent acts an accusation or an actual <laughs> bless you. So I think he's going to tumble. Like Jack and Jill. I mean, and maybe tonight's, uh, I'm watch. I'm currently watching ESPN and they're doing a draft special. Maybe this is indicative of it and wake up the information being brought to light. They removed him from the simulations so that what they have is the the, the lead writers from each team doing the mock draft, and they completely removed them. So maybe this is a, a harbinger of what's to come as far as just the, the perception and, and the thought process that a lot of teams are having. But it's, it's, it's unfortunate, and this definitely if it comes out that she's lying or this was um, misinformation, this, but like I said earlier, you have to be careful with the company that you keep. Uh, no different than the situation last year with uh, Laramie Tunsil. Whoever, I mean, we found out it was his stepdad that leaked the video, so it's like you can't avoid being around him. But like, dude, that has to be discern, this like disconcerting. To have people that you claim that you think care about you or are close to you being your biggest haters, your biggest detriment. So you just have to be very aware of who you surround yourself with, who you keep in your circles, because it's going to get worse once you get that NFL check, once you get that NFL exposure, once you get to these cities where they know you and expect things of you. Now the the groupies get more bold, that the the hangarons get more have greater expectations, and you have to be able to say no. You have to be able to tell these guys not. Nah. Or these girls or these people close to you, I love you. Yeah, you got me to this point, but you can't, this part of my life, you can't be a, a part of the ride and just be okay with it. Yeah. Well, and somebody, somebody's going to jump out of there. Somebody's going to be able to convince the ownership that this guy's talent is, is too much for us to pass. I mean, here's the one thing, you know, look at it. Yeah, he's he's graded out as first draft, but please don't. I mean, if you get to get on the NFL field, make sure that you reach your potential. If you have the black yeah. eye of the accusations and then you don't perform, you're going to have a shorter leash than the average rookie would. Right. And, and I think this is where the distinction – between what Kylie is going through and what Mixon is going through, it shows how different it is. Because 
people were wrongfully trying to lump the Nixon situation as a domestic violence. That wasn't the domestic violence. Domestic violence is someone that you know, you're entered into an altercation with someone you know, and that whereas this was an assault on a female who instigated it by hitting him and by calling him the N-word. Now, was he wrong for re- responding? Yes, but that's why you have some teams and even Bob Quinn of the Lions who has a strong uh, stance on domestic violence and sexual assault still was willing to entertain him because he understood the, that separation. Because Mixon didn't this wasn't a young lady that Joe Mixon was dating or involved with, and they had an altercation. This was just uh, a fight in a bar that happened to involve a woman. And it was instigated by this young lady. They have since settled out of court this past week, and some people think that that may also be uh, an added bonus to his case, which could stop possibly push him back up into the back end, the front end of the second round, if not the back end of the first round, whereas Conley, we see how the NFL feels about sexual assault and attacks like this against women. It's hard to bounce back from. And I hope he doesn't take that fall like you're claiming, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did fall to the third or fourth round. And like and also like you said, whoever decides to take that, that chance is getting a guy that's a that's a starter, you get you're getting two first round picks. Because mm-hmm. you're gonna get whoever you draft in the first round and you're gonna get this guy that should have been the first rounder. And that's why the the Cowboys are in the situation they are now with Lyle Collins because this is a top ten pick. That they they picked up as a, a undrafted free agent. Yep. Well, folks, we're about to get into this draft. Our mock draft. Uh, we'll make our picks. Say a quick little blurb about it. It'll be out in this in this entirety and compare us to the the other professional. Uh, my graphers. Uh, but let's start at the top. Nick Cleveland Brown. Uh, we we asked this question before can go too deep into it, but can they mess up the can they mess up this draft? Uh I hope not. This is a Despite what Warren Sapp and Shannon Sharp have said about them, this is the the easy pick for them. And I'm just leaving that there. Can't, I can't miss. Yeah. Now, what happens, what he does on the field is something totally different. But this is a pick that they have to make. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's overwhelming, at least in the eyes of the public, that that's where, you know, that's what – Everybody's looking at the overall number one pick. But, you know, again, he has to produce because otherwise he just becomes another block. So, with that, Cleveland Browns on the clock. Quinn has Cleveland taken. Miles Garrett. 
I have to concur with that. Um, they don't think they're going to reach for a quarterback up here. Um, once again, he plays the end. They play in a 3-4. Yeah, maybe some questions, but you can always put him on the side when he's just providing pressure. I'm sure you can put him inside from time to time, matchups, some put, create some uh, matchups against some guard center, uh, guard center combos, guard tackle combos. Uh, I think this can't be missed uh, on this. Number two, San Francisco Giants. I'll go first. <clears throat> a lot of people think they're going to pull the trigger and take a quarterback up here. If I'm a San Francisco fan, I would be livid if they take a quarterback right up here because, once again, we are – we already know we're hitting the reset button. <clears throat> we got new uh, – a, a lot of new pieces in place as far as administration and all of those things. You need a difference maker. There are a lot of different makers that you can go here, but I'm going to take the lead of their GM and pull the trigger on taking Jamal Adams, strong safety out of LSU. That's a good pick. Um, I saw the opposite end of the defense going to the, the front four, and they already have the Forrest Buckner and the Another high first round pick up there, but they add to it with Solomon Thomas, and they're they're slowly building a formidable uh, front four, depending on what scheme they run, whether it's a three four or four three. So I'm gonna go with Solomon Thomas from the local school, Stanford Cardinals. All right, all right, number three, Q selects for the Chicago Bears. No Cutler, no problems, I guess. But they still have some 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 holes on the defensive side, despite having a a, a pretty high ranked defense last year. I give them another piece. I give them a playmaker that they haven't had at this position in a while. Uh, Malik Hooker, safety, Ohio State. Okay. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, and I think the Bears. The Bears, I think, are linebackers. Um, and I think defensively, since Erlacher has been gone, Briggs is hurt. They have a, a young, high pod speech, but they don't have that, that stud at linebacker, at least in my opinion. So I think that they're going to go with what they, who they feel is the best inside linebacker and go ahead. And, and a lot of people think it is a jump, but go ahead and get Ruben Foster and solidify that linebacker spot to be the face of the defense. Next, we have on the clock the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Jacksonville, everybody knows I was a bandwagon fan of Jacksonville prior to five games, in, and I realized it was all a dream. Uh, but they <laughs> still have a young core of talented players, uh, and I think with Blake Bortles, Still developing, being what he needs. I'm gonna pull the lions on them. I'm I'm making this pick because I think this is what they need on multiple levels: mismatches, a quarterback's best friend, uh, an extension of the run game. In certain situations, I have them taking OJ Howard, tight end from Alabama. Again, they're nowhere near the fourth worst team in the NFL. Don't let last season fool you. 
So once again, I think it's a blessing in disguise them having a, this pick so high, and we'll see what, what who you have. Um, I'm gonna stay on the offensive side of the ball, but I think they they need someone that's going to take the pressure off of Bortles, someone that he can hand the ball to 15, 20 times because Chris Ivory isn't the answer. Uh, T.J. Yeldon is a nice compliment, but he's not uh, a Bill Kyle and definitely not Denar. So they go with the, the man-child, Leonard Fournette, with the number uh, four pick, and that gives him – that gives uh, Bortles a safety net and, and gives him a retreat for at least this year. Yep. Well, that, I mean – I definitely see that, and Fournette is definitely uh, a game changer for that. So now we come to the Titans, who they're pretty good and good to go when it comes to uh, running backs. But uh, me, I think they were a surprise team last year. They have good balance on offense. Defense still has uh, leave a little bit to be desired. Um, I think that they're going to go ahead and try to solidify the defensive backfield, work backwards, and, and pick up LaShawn uh, Lattimore, cornerback, Ohio State. Well, I'm right there with you. Uh, they they get the best corner if his hamstrings hold up. I, I know that's a, a tender muscle for athletes that could start off good and end up bad depending on how the treatment is. But I'm going to go with that and more, too. All right. Next, we have the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets up. Q's on the clock. Um, Jets have a bunch of holes. <laughs> and quarterback has been rumored, but I don't think they are in love with any of the guys completely to start over. They still have Christian Hackenberg that they could kind of see if he's an answer. So I think they, they add – a couple more pieces to the defense. They get the best safety that I think is on the board. Um, Jamal Adams, the strong safety from LSU, and a box guy. Okay. Uh, I think defense is side right now. If they take a quarterback right there, you'll be able to hear the boos for weeks out of New York. Um, I think even though it's not necessarily a weak area, but the rotations that they have and uh, them really, uh, Ty Bowles really want uh, it to be a strong suit. I think they go with Jonathan Allen, defensive tackle out of Alabama, to solidify that, to allow them to be as aggressive as he likes them to be. And uh, that's who he's going with. And that's Next, we have that you said what? That allows them to check. I said that's an interesting pick because now that allows them to move Sheldon Richardson with no problem. Right. Right. It could be a draft day move uh, as well. So um, next we have the Los Angeles Chargers with the lamest logo in the world, even though they fixed it, but it's still lame. Uh, with the number seven pick, uh, they need help. They need pressure. Uh, you had this guy off, I think, off the board real early. 
But I have them just going off right now. I don't know. Where is it? Solomon Thomas. Yeah. Solomon Thomas from DN from Stanford. Uh, Solid player. Smart player. uh, Can be a difference difference maker out there. Uh, And fit the style of L.A. I mean, they hitting the reset button out there charging land. What about yourself? Nah. Staying with the defensive line, I get them a guy that's versatile at the end and that's versatile enough to play defensive end and also defensive tackle. There are some concerns about his his shoulder, but I think that's not as big of a problem. It's Jonathan Allen. You put him with Joey Bosa, and now they have a, a, a very dangerous one-two punch if Allen comes to play like expected. Yeah, I mean, we're both there on position with just the players. Number eight, Carolina Panthers on the clock. Q, who do you have them taking? Now, this might not be the the popular pick because I've seen a couple of mock drafts take the other top running back, Christian McCaffrey, here. But I think the Panthers realize they need that defense to step back up. The reason why they struggled so much last year wasn't so much the offense, but the defense got exposed. Uh, the left young corners that were kind of left on the island, and they didn't have the pass that they're used to. So I think they're going to go defensively and, and pick up one of the premier sack masters from college football and Derek Barnett defense to end from, uh, from Tennessee. Okay. Uh Based on my draft and how everything's working itself out, the Panthers get the gifts of all gifts, at least the first big gift in the draft, by Fournette being passed over by teams that, uh, with the exception of, I think, uh, the the Jags that have at least a solid running game or a decent running game. But them picking up Fournette and it being the game changer, and actually this would be a pick that would take a lot of pressure off of Cam. They're going to need some line help, but – Having this this uh, Fournette out there will uh, really make them a better overall team and make last year the anomaly as opposed to it being what the new norm is. Pick number nine, we have Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati, again, I don't know how how many more last legs. Uh, the Cincinnati coaching staff will have perennial first-round playoff playoff exit. Um, but they need some type of player that, again, players, I mean, other teams have to uh, game plan for. And you had them going to pick before I have them going now. Derek Barnett, he's a sack master. Again, you can move them around, put them in different places. They play the 3-4 as well. You can put them in different places. Stand him up. He's going to be a nightmare matchup player. Now, this one, I think, if it happens in real life, because I think this might have been a reach for me, but if this happens, it, it will send shockwaves to the draft. I got Cincinnati taking Christian McCaffrey. They aren't sure because of that window being closed. They're not sure what's going to happen with Gio Bernard coming off an ACL injury. And um, Jeremy Hill has kind of started to slow down. That power back 
that has taken a lot of hits, he hasn't shown to be able to kind of keep up that that high yard per carry average. So this is a definitely a help in the run game and the pass game with McCaffrey being having one of some of the best hands of any player in the draft. So that they I know Andy Dalton is smiling. Yes, he he definitely is because even though even though they have a tag running back, this you can put McCaffrey in a lot of different places while you still figure that out because neither one of those are uh, are those players are going to be flanking out too much and providing matchup nightmares for linebackers. So uh, I would actually like that pick. Uh, number ten, Buffalo Bills. Uh, Buffalo Bills, I have them, you know, really going on and trying to give Tyrod Taylor a legitimate, uh, another weapon, um, matching him up with with Woods, taking, even though he's injured right now, Corey Davis, wide receiver, Western Michigan. uh, He's number one ranked wide receiver, even while injured. uh, He's a beast. When healthy, but I think they can, based on what he's done, can sell this to their fan base. And if he is, I would say, even 80% of what he was in college, if he comes back from that, uh, he'll be good to go for years to go at Buffalo. Well, the same mindset, different approach. I went with O.J. Howard. You give. I think Charles Clay really hasn't been living up to that that contract extension, and this gives Tyrod Taylor a dangerous uh, piece in the middle of the field. And hopefully, I'm, I'm banking on Sammy Watkins being healthy and being able to really last the whole season. I'm not gonna hold my breath too much on that, but O.J. Howard is a, a dangerous guy in the middle. That makes. Uh, once again, that's a, again, tight end is quarterback's best friend. I'll say it again, say it again. Now, the New Orleans Saints. The Saints just recently announced they signed AP, so that kind of changes some of their draft needs. Uh, but for the Saints, as dynamic as their offense is, their defense is equally putrid. And they, they need some help. So they need help with a lot of different positions. I'm going to say a person is going to be able to help them to at least inc- improve their pass defense. Be free safety, Malik Hooker, Ohio State. Nice pick, playmaker. Uh, I moved up towards the defensive end. Charles Harris has been gaining some steam as a, a playmaker, high level sack artist from Missouri. So hopefully, getting to the quarterback oversees the fact that they have no corners back there. Yeah. Yeah, they uh they need help. They only I say they got two years max with with uh, uh Drew Brees left out there being as productive as he is. All right now the the Browns are back on the clock. And I'll just take this pick for both of us because we're in the same we're lockstep right. with this. This is pretty much a safe pick. Uh, I don't think either one of us thinks that they're in love with him. I put specifically that they're in like with him. 
Um, but their pick will be the new franchise golden boy of the Browns or the brownie boy of the Browns, Mitchell Trubisky, quarterback, North Carolina. I don't even think he's the best quarterback in there. I just think he's ranked out at that level. Uh, And, again, that's just my opinion. Uh, But I just think that they have to take a quarterback, and I think they feel that's the safest safest route. And you can say – My question is, Mm-hmm. Will they have to jump up to get him? Cause is he, are they going to get him at 12, or are they going to have to jump to five to get him? That's the, the million-dollar question for me. Yeah, and that's the thing is <clears throat> they have some very tempting picks, and if the Jets can create an, enough uh, enough uh, noise about them wanting to have them, the Titans could truly benefit from it truly benefit uh, and become, a, uh, once again, a better team uh, and not cleaving further down in the AS, AFC uh, pole. So, next pick, number 13, the Arizona Cardinals. Arizona Cardinals, uh, and we both have them uh, needing offensive help. This is where I see Christian McCaffrey going again. This is a team that has uh, a luxury of running back right now, but because of his diversity, and you can wait and see uh, how things shake up when that second contract comes up for uh, I can't think of the name. It's not Brown. David Johnson. The running back. There we go. Uh, when it comes up, whether they're gonna sign him, if you have potentially his replacement. But once again, you can put McCaffrey in the return game. You can put him in the special packages. You can put him in the slot. You can do a lot of different things and make your team more dynamic. And that, and I think if you really believe that, I think Arizona thinks that their window is still open. And Carson, everybody knows Carson only got, i say, a year left. So, I would say that they were going to go for Gusto. This will be a fan favorite as well as something that's showing your, the players you have that we're still trying to win now. Yeah. Now, I stay on the offensive side of the ball as well. And you had them going a couple of picks earlier, but I have them taking Corey Davis. With uh, They don't have – John Brown is a good receiver as far as a deep there, but I think he's more suited for number three, and they need that number two. And I think he provides the size and leadership and the big playability to slide into that two spot, but also be ready to take over the number one spot once uh, Larry decides to hang him up. That provides nice matchups. On that side. All right, at number 14, almost there, halfway there. We got the Eagles. Eagles can go, they can soar or they can dive. I'm not sure which direction they're going to go, but I think that they need to solidify their running game, and I think they're going to go after 
McCaffrey is gone. I think they're going to go after arguably, depending on who you ask. I mean, I think it's a, a clear top three in running backs. Some people feel that he's better than McCaffrey, but Dalvin Cook, this is a good place for him to go uh, to be able to, once again, be a hard runner, take their pressure off, out of that crazy quarterback situation going on in Philly. Uh, that's my pick. Now, my pick will probably, <laughs> I mean, we talked about him earlier, and I'm going to still leave him there. Just because of just for the sake of things, they need the Eagles have all have needed quarterback cornerback help for the last couple of years, and would have found a good one in uh, Jerry and Conley. But considering what he's dealing with, I think they go a different route and pick someone else. But I'm not trying to reshuffle my board completely, so I'm just leaving it at this. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can't blame you. He's on my board too. Um, so next, right in the middle of the draft, first round, the Colts. Uh, the Colts, once again, I think uh, they need to solidify themselves on what they're going to be. I mean, they could be dynamic in one instance, and then they could be tragic in the next. I think the biggest thing is keeping your quarterback upright. With that, having them going after – Again, it may they may have to shuffle some things around, but I think uh, if Andrew Luck has been on the ground as much as he has in his career, you could never have enough good offensive linemen. So they're gonna go after and and draft Ryan Ramsky. I don't Ramsky, that can't be right. Ramsick, there we go. Offensive tackle from Wisconsin. Okay, I got them going to the other side of the ball on defense. Uh, this is another guy we talked about earlier that could take a slide, and if he does, the the Colts fans have to be happy. It's Ruben Foster, linebacker, inside linebacker, Alabama. He's what a lot of people have called the best middle linebacker in the draft. That's a step up for they benefit from his inability to not drink too much water, which is crazy. Right. Definitely limit his water intake. Um, Number 16, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I have the Ravens. uh, I mean, you had Ray Lewis is gone. Suggs has been playing on one leg or one toe. You really don't have a true face to that defense. Uh, and I think that this dynamic linebacker out of Temple, Hassan Reddick, who I would love to see in Honolulu Blue and Gray, uh, but I think that he's going to be that tackling machine. He's going to be that all everything, all over the place, sideline to sideline running, I mean, uh, linebacker that they have missed over the years. I have them sticking somewhat to the same position. Um, but I think this guy provides them a little bit more of a pass rush specialist. Uh, Karis McKinley, linebacker, defensive end from UCLA. Next, we have Washington up on deck. And the logo is hilarious. Um, 
Mm. Oh, that's forever. From from now on, I'm using that logo to describe that team. <laughs> well, don't let our our favorite uh, Washingtonian see that. She'll understand. She'll be, she'll be shooting darts at you. But with the 17 pick, again, Washington has always been random in what they do. The Snyder administration is random in itself. Um, they don't always go after what they want. I mean, what they need, they go after what they want and who they hold a high value, and I think they're going with best value. And they're getting a good quality player. They're going to go and get Taco Charlton from Michigan, uh, an impact player uh, on the defensive line that they need. I'm one to go for the gusto. And this is a position that isn't a need, but not because they don't – I think it's because they don't realize it. And this is David Joku, tight in Miami. They have Jordan Reed on their roster, but he's only played 46 of the last 64 games for the Red, for the, the Skins. They need somebody that they can really depend on at that position, and this will help with the addition of Terrell Pryor and um, the offset losing um, Deshaun Jackson. So I think Joku is an athletic guy that they can flank outside. They can use multiple multiple ways. And he turns into that next exciting guy for the Skins. Okay. Next up, Titans with their second first round pick. Uh, <clears throat> I'll make this pick for us. I think this is going to be a steal for them if he's still around for him. Uh, I wouldn't touch him with a hot, uh, with with gloves, uh, kitchen gloves on. Just because of his name and our history with the Lions, but Mike Williams, <laughs> wide receiver from Clemson, um, again another weapon for Mariota. It gives him the option, and once again has that team because right now they run heavy team. But if you give those options and stretch it out, you can't defend all aspects of that game. So uh, I think that's a good pick for them, a great weapon for Mariota. And leads us to the Bucks, Tampa Bay, number nineteen. Hold up, can I? I was about to say something. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, because I actually had them taking Williams with the fifth pick, and I was like, hold up. Looking at, I had to reevaluate my board and say, okay, he might be there at eighteen, and it's just how it it fell. It fell. He was so the. If this works out for Tennessee, this is a great sign of things to come. Yeah. I mean, they they could be locked and loaded and be on in a five-year window, five, six-year window that they could be making a real push. Because AFC, in my opinion, is prime for the picking. Uh, it's going to be wide open. And, and, and I would say in two years, it's going to be wide open. Now we're on the Bucks, number 19 position. I have them taking uh, a, a jump for some, but I've seen what this guy could do when motivated. I think part of it had to do with things that were going on with the program and not a lot of success with this team. This position is a strength. I have the Bucks taking Malik McDowell, who can play inside and out. 
nice pick. Um, I had them staying in state and staying with the Florida State theme. They've had some success with that. Um, I'm going Dalvin Cook. They have uh, the muscle hamster Doug Martin, but I'm not sure how confident they are with him, and this gives them a a great one-two punch and definitely a guy that they can kind of use as that third down back until they feel more comfortable with him getting more carries. Next up, Denver. Uh, Denver needs to protect a young their quarterback situation. Uh, I have them taking Garrett Bowles out of Utah. Uh, again, just a solid player to to protect him. Not sure if he's going to be on the blind side or not, but I have him there. You had the same position, but you have a little more high-profile player. Yeah, this guy surprisingly fell to Denver, and I think his his notoriety coming from a, a great program makes him an easy pick for the Broncos. Cam Robinson, offensive tackle, Alabama. Yeah, that was a, a tumble. I had him tumbling even further. For no really explained reason, but a lot of times that's what happens. There's no real true explanation for tumbling. Just how the cookie crumbles. Now we have the Detroit Lions on the clock. And on the clock, Detroit Lions, I think we both agree their greatest need is linebacker. Um, inside, in my opinion. Um, and with me, I had them going with, uh, I feel, is our second option, best option at linebacker, diverse versatile Jared Davis of Florida. And this would be the perfect scenario. I don't really, I don't think this happens because he's gaining too much momentum coming off of the a great uh, combine and definitely a great pro day. Hassan Reddick from uh, Temple, he's a pass rush specialist that has the ability to play in coverage. Um, so I think he's going to go a lot quicker than expected. But if he's there, the Lions will run to the, the podium to make this, to make this pick. Yep, and, I, and if you heard of me earlier, I said earlier, I sure enough would want to see him in Honolulu blue and white, but I don't think he's going to be there. Uh, 22. We got three minutes. We still have time. We can run over if we want to. 22, the Dolphins. Uh, I have him taken. Gary and Conley. Again, this is a little further than what he was projected, but I think he's going to tumble more, as I said before. But uh, this is a good fit for uh, – the fans needing assistance down there in the defensive backfield. And I had them going to the offensive side of the ball. Forrest Lamp, guard, um, Western Kentucky. That allows them to move Laramie Tunsil to tackle and create a nice left side of the the offense for uh, the Dolphins. All right, next we have the G-Man on the clock. And this is where I had the stumbling, fumbling, rumbling, falling, Cam Robinson falling to help Eli protect him from selling 
autograph memorabilia. <laughs> um, I have another left tackle. Yeah, I'm all right. Um, from Utah, Garrett Bowles. They are not excited with Eric Flowers, their former first round draft pick. So this gives them an opportunity to move him to the right side. Yeah, I remember I wanted Flowers as the Lions. It was a backup. I wanted them. All right, number at twenty-four, the Raiders, and the Raiders. Even with the the uh, diluted sample, I think this is a good pick for the Raiders. Uh, it provides options. They kind of need help with, like, all of those positions that Peppers does play, but I haven't taken Jabril Peppers and the Raiders. Um, I went old school Raiders with this pick. Speed kills, and they take the fastest guy in the draft, and John Ross. To combine with uh, Crabtree and and to what other stupid the other wide receiver for the Raiders I can't think of his name right now. Um, to combine that to find a great trio uh, for Derek Carr and now they just got to make sure they have the running game established. Is it going to be beast mode or someone else? Yeah, you, if you get car weapons like that, it'll be turning into Stafford. The Raiders fans won't be like Lions fans. Like, he got too many weapons. No, you can never have too many. Right. Next, you had the Texans on the board. Uh, again, an extension to the Texans needing um, the quarterback to have the best friend. This is where David Joku from Miami – lands that once again creates those mismatches that are so beautiful for uh um, I want quarterback the opposite. I think I think this is where the the Texans pull the trigger on the quarterback. Pat Mahomes, local guy from Texas Tech, has everything they want. They have the wide receivers to go deep and this provides them a, a big arm quarterback. And once again, there's another quarterback still on the board that's more talented, but he just fits what they're looking for in their system, so that's why they make the pick. Yeah. I agree with that last statement about the quarterback. All right, 26 on the clock, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, nobody knows what they're going to do. The talks have kind of died down with Richard Sherman getting traded. I think they want too much. But once again, that they may ask for less as you get closer and closer to the draft. The cornerback is still a need. Um, I haven't taken Kevin King, the rangy Kevin King, cornerback from Washington. Yeah, we're right we here. They been. like big cornerbacks. <laughs> yeah, they like big cornerbacks, so I think that's where they're going to go. And it just makes the transition from Richard Sherman, when it eventually happens, easier to deal with. Who that? Number 17, I mean 17, 27, the Kansas City Chiefs are on the board. Dude, look, this is, I think I went back, and I think our first mock was 2014 or 13. We have never been this lockstep impossible. And I saw your first 22 picks, but I didn't see the last the last uh, eight 
and again, we are lockstep. I think we both agree that at least this quarterback is the number two. In my opinion, I think he's the best quarterback out of the lot. Uh, Deshaun Watson. I think it's finally time for them to 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 get to the the next level and somebody who's not a game manager. Uh, a proven winner, uh, a versatile quarterback that if Alex Smith gets hurt or if he gets the opportunity, may not relinquish it. Yeah, I think this is that time. We've all been waiting for someone just to take over the reins for Alex Smith. Because he's been okay, but not great. And I think this is an opportunity for Kansas City to groom that next guy and prepare for that transition that will be a great one under um, Andy Reid. Yeah. Number 28 on the clock. The Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys, again, we talked about you. You kind of talked about it earlier about their draft choices and choices they have made that have people with questionable past, which really has affected them and what they have to offer and what they have right now. So they need help on that defense. Uh, I haven't taken Charles Harris, DN from Missouri, allowing them to get pressure again. Not necessarily the best idea, but if you can put him in situational, he's good to go. I have them on the back end. They have a great need for safety help. They let a couple of the guys go in free agency. So this is a guy, another workout warrior, that's kind of shot up a lot of people's boards. Obi Melifonwu, safety from Connecticut. Oh, say that. Say it again. What his name? Ob Melifonwu. Yeah. That's that next level research, folks. Next level research. Next, the Green Bay Packers. On the clock, <laughs> I'm gonna say that needs to kind of like the Saints on the defensive side. And I have him taking a cornerback, Chidobi Awusi. Quarterback out of Colorado. Again, in a little bit, people going to show enough be forgetting that Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl because it's been a while. And them making these second-half pushes is going to get real old in Green Bay if their defense can't stop nobody. So right. I think they have to address it from the defensive backfield. I stayed the same spot, but Marlon Humphrey, cornerback, Alabama. <clears throat> yes, he struggles with the deep ball and, and finding the ball, but I think his ability to play the run and, and just make big plays, as long as they stay in front of him, keeps him in the first round and, and will be a great addition to the pack. I like that pick. Next pick, number 30, the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers, again, defensively, they have some some depth issues. Uh, I think their window is shrinking as well with Big Ben, so defense is going to be the key to kind of hold it together. I haven't taken T.J. Watt 
I think it's a reach, but I think his name adds credibility. Uh, and they can find schemes and, and find things for him to be able to do and be effective. Nah, we talked about this guy earlier. You had him going a little bit sooner, but I got Jabril Peppers going here. This is a Steelers team that tends to find spaces for guys, even though they don't fit the mold. And he can be a package guy defensively, but also be a guy that can take some. Because they've had some, some questions. Get A.B. from back there as a punt returner and kick returner and just use him and, and allow them to make that transition. The window is closing, but they still have enough. And then maybe even put him on the offense side of the ball once or twice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like that. He 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 but he was going off my board. So the Falcons, the runners up. Um, a lot of people think defense is the key. I think it is just adjustments, mentality, not being being there. I think they're still the cream of, of the. Of the NFC, uh, and I think that they have luxury at this point in time that they can still uh, do some things. So I have them taking wide receiver John Ross to add to their depth. Uh, granted, Roddy White was beyond his prime retiring, but again, providing different options and matchup issues for. Uh, 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 Matty Ice is what's best for this team because the offense is what's going to win this team a championship if they get it. Um, now I went to the defensive side of the ball. You had this guy going a lot earlier. Um, Malik McDowell the the Falcons were in need of a pass rush. They found one in Big Beasley who finally stepped up after two years. But I think taking McDowell, if he's motivated, gives them a push up the middle that few teams have and few teams can kind of combat if you have that inside-outside guy on the defensive line. I mean, they need that. I just don't think they're going to go that route. And with the last pick of the 2017 first round, the NFL draft, the New Orleans Saints. Um, I have the Saints, again, going defense. I don't think his Saints can do anything but go defense early. Uh, And I haven't given a linebacker, Cunningham, out of Vanderbilt to close out the first round. They need to make sure that they can stop people from scoring. I, I think it's that, it's that simple. They have to stop people from scoring, bottom line. Um, I, I say it on defense, but this guy has a lot of versatility. Adore Jackson, cornerback, um, USC, with them probably not getting Malcolm Butler from New England. Now, this gives them a guy that they can – move a couple of different places, and also using the special teams. Because when was the last time you saw the Warriors have a guy that you really feared on that, in that aspect of the game, besides since Darren Sproul? So 
this should definitely help on multiple levels till he figures out some of the issues that he had at cornerback. So Saints should be happy with this one. Yep, and that concludes our 2017 mock draft. You'll see our picks along with those of the experts, the ones who get paid the big bucks to do it. And then, of course, we'll see who's right. Of course, there'll be a trade or two, three or four, that'll shake up the world, but we always base it upon what those teams picked in those positions instead of who's picking in those positions. So, uh I've been doing better as years go by. Quinn used to whoop my butt because he was more of an advanced guy. But now I think I'm I'm, uh, catching up, at least getting to his level. And maybe this may be the year that I overtake him uh, in this. But once again, it's all a guessing game. Uh, I can't say it enough. Lions need to get a linebacker. Uh, In addition to what they had, they addressed it minimally in free agency, but they need to get some help up the middle. Uh, interested, I'm very interesting to, interested to see what they're doing. It's going to be a re- little weird. Last four, three or four years, we were doing a show during the draft. Uh, so I get to sit and just watch it. So that'll be fun. All right. But, yeah. Ladies and gents, that will close out this episode of Sports Q&A. Make sure that you check us out on the podcast. It'll be available on the website and Sports Q&A, QANDA.com. It'll be available on blogtalkradio.com slash sports QA. Also available on iTunes podcast, Sports Q&A. Download it, subscribe to it. Listen, share with your friends, call in next time. But we'll be we'll be active, really active on social media during the draft, especially with some surprising picks and comparing to where we are or what we have. And we'll see you all next Tuesday on the show. Hope your team drafts who you think they need to. But Enjoy it and be safe. So, folks, we out. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.